Hello and welcome to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. I'm Susanna Streeter. I'm the Senior Investment and Markets Analyst here at Hargreaves Lansdowne. And as usual, I'm joined by Sarah Coles, our Senior Personal Finance Analyst. So, Sarah, we, we should start by saying that we're speaking at a very strange time, of course, during the national period of mourning of Queen Elizabeth II. And it has been a really sad period of reflection for us all. Yes, and and when life slows down like it has over the past two weeks, it makes you really take stock of all sorts of things, including how much life has changed since the start of the Queen's reign. It's really hard to think of an area of life that hasn't changed dramatically over the past 70 years. And of course, one of the most obvious examples is computing. So back in 1952, we were all still in the era of enormous machines and they'd only just started using magnetic tape. But of course, now we hold computing technology in the palm of our hands. We certainly do. Computing technology is almost unrecognisable from that time. And one of the most important revolutions in recent decades has been the move to cloud computing. And that's what we're going to be looking at in today's podcast, an episode we're calling Ahead in the Cloud. We'll be speaking to Andy Parker, the founder of Elusive Brewing in Wokingham, who's been using cloud computing to make quite a difference to his brewery. Hello and thanks for having me on. Yeah, we've used cloud computing and IT in some really interesting ways as part of building the brewery. We'll also be speaking to our lead equity analyst, Sophie Lund-Yates, about some of the listed companies in this space, including Alphabet and Amazon. Yes, and I'll also be looking at a nice alternative way to get some access to the cloud action. And we'll catch up with Emma Wall, our Head of Investment Analysis and Research, who's been speaking to Ziad abu Jerji, a Senior Fund Manager here at HL, about the US market, which is home to some of the biggest cloud computing companies. And we will, of course, have the quiz. Oh, well, I'm going to be ambitious. I'm going to try and get more than one right this time. Well, it has to happen at some point, I suppose. But I should start with a bit of background about cloud computing. Most of us don't spend an awful lot of time thinking about what it is. We just use it. But essentially, there is a physical network of servers somewhere in the world holding data that we can access using an internet connection. It can simply be how businesses store data on their own infrastructure, on their own premises, a so-called private cloud, or they might take advantage of services that host and manage web services for them, known as a public cloud, or a mixture of both, the so-called hybrid cloud. And as time's gone on, the capabilities of cloud services have really taken off and around 5 billion people are accessing data on the cloud. Yes, I mean, even outside work, you use the cloud all the time. So that's whether you use something like Dropbox to send photos to friends or use streaming services to watch TV or play games or or listen to music. And everyone who owns a smartphone is likely to be connected to the cloud. And at a time when war and inflation has been causing a real storm around the world, the cloud is considered to be a brighter spot in terms of opportunities for growth. With price spirals a huge challenge for economies around the world and high inflation likely to persist into 2023, despite central banks' determination to try and bring it down, many companies are facing some unprecedented challenges. According to one of the latest business snapshots from the ONS, an Office for National Statistics, concerns about input price inflation and energy prices remain the top two worries for October. As consumers rein in their spending and margins risk coming under increasing pressure, the going is getting tougher to protect profits. But while some firms may be banning down the hatches and reining in spending, others are investing more in finding efficiencies, accelerating digital transformation to try and develop leaner business models 
to try and unlock productivity problems. Yeah, so Grant Thornton's International Business Report is a survey of senior executives of around 10,000 firms in 29 economies, and it found that only 54% of firms expected to be increased profits this year. However, those that did forecast a rise said they were investing in noticeably more areas of IT than the global average, focusing on reducing operational costs and improving efficiencies. Migrating to the public cloud, hosted by an external provider, rather than trying to maintain and upgrade their own servers, can allow businesses to essentially rent digital capabilities in a more flexible way. A cloud model enables businesses to purchase only the storage they require as and when they need it. And the fight for talent also plays into all of this. As we've discussed on this podcast before, there is really fierce competition for digital skills among many businesses. In the latest ONS survey, energy worries and high business costs may be at the top of the pile of financial pain, but more than a third of companies are also still grappling with the ongoing problems of staff shortages. So the idea is that by taking advantage of cloud-based technologies and the services and resources they bring to automate business functions, that can lighten the impact of the labour shortages. And crucially, many businesses see the cloud as vital for pursuing growth and scale. It's seen as pretty crucial for developing technologies such as machine learning and artificial intelligence. And of course, the cloud's just going to get bigger. So data growth is being driven by a rapidly expanding universe of internet users, apps and the so-called Internet of Things devices. And even the way we measure this data is having to change fast to keep pace. Nonetheless, there are lots of tricky decisions for businesses. There's the complexity of making the shift, plus the challenge of containing the cost of doing so. And for many, the most important concern is security. Yes, secure access to the outsourced cloud environment is a relatively new discipline for many IT organisations. And many companies have spent decades and millions of pounds securing apps, data and their customers using a typical firewall approach. And in Cisco's recent survey, more than half of companies who responded said they were moving data between their premises and the external cloud weekly. So it's no wonder security is such a concern. Let's have a chat now to one company that's made the switch and can tell us just what factors were under consideration. Let's bring in Andy Parker. You heard him earlier. He's the founder of Elusive Brewing in Wokingham. So Andy, your background is in IT. So... How did you get into beer? Uh, it was really a hobby that got out of control. Uh, back when I was working in IT, um, obviously enjoy drinking beer. But um, as a bit of a, an escape really from IT, I started brewing at home uh, and making a, a big mess in the kitchen mostly. Got to the point where I was producing some, some reasonable quality beer, joined a homebrew club, started entering competitions and it kind of went from there really. They don't necessarily feel like sort of natural bedfellows IT and beer, but it's, it's not an uncommon transition to make, is it? No, I could say one drove me to the other. <laughs> I mean, brewing is a science. There's a lot of variables involved. And, and in my IT career, I've worked in many different roles, but uh, latterly was working on uh, video streaming and video streaming quality. And that involves a lot of analytics, a lot of looking at millions of lines of data, trying to tune and optimise. And I think uh, the way I've approached brewing has been kind of driven by that. Uh, that at least informed the way I design recipes and the way we evolve our recipes and tweak them and aim to iterate to the result that we want to get with the beer. So I think that approach was a good grounding in how to to make good beer. So why do you think cloud computing can improve perhaps your beer recipes and the way that uh, you make the beer? If I think when I came out of IT and started the business, we made conscious choices to have everything we did in the cloud. My, my last few roles in IT were working on cloud-based applications and cloud computing. It seemed 
uh, almost foreign to me at that point. Why would you have a physical server in a brewery? Why would you want physical infrastructure? When I started the business and started designing things, even very simple things like, let's make sure all our recipes are accessible on a phone, on everywhere. They're, you know, we can look at them from any device, that sort of thing. So that, those all kind of went into Google Docs. Um, and from there, everything that we've, uh, we've licensed or brought in, for example, our accounts package, it's all cloud-based. And that's really made our lives a hell of a lot easier as we've grown the business in terms of access to information and access to data. And presumably it makes a, a difference to, to how you can grow as well and, and so that you're not constantly having to worry about whether or not you need more sort of computing power as well. I don't, to be honest, that is that is the main benefit. I don't really give it any thought at all in terms of computing power. I just think about the applications we use and how we use them. And the whole infrastructure piece is someone else's problem, which is nice. Now, you've clearly embraced cloud computing from the off, but do you think... Uh, for example, among your competitors, given they're in such a traditional industry, it might be tricky to embrace something so new. Yeah, I think so, because a lot of it comes out of the way their equipment and the way it's operated is designed. Um, I mean, we're not, we don't have you know, like state-of-the-art equipment in terms of the brewery kit by any sense, but we have made some small changes, such as having our temperature controllers. You know, We can access them via an app on a phone and change temperatures. Um, that kind of thing maybe wouldn't be possible to some of the larger traditional breweries without you know a lot of reinvestment in in investment they've already made and and a lot of uh, modifications to their kit. So um, I think that's definitely an advantage. Does it become part of the conversation that you have with other brewers? So when you're talking about your processes, is it something that you 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 know and you end up recommending to other people? Yeah, definitely. We've recently implemented a, a brewery management system called Brew with an extra W. I saved us hours a week just by, and that's a, a cloud-based um, application that we use. I was just out delivering earlier. When I deliver, I can scan a QR code on a keg, scan it to the venue. It's all updated instantly so that back in the office, they can see what's going on. Uh, they know where I am on my delivery run, things like that. I mean, I'd shout about that to other breweries and say, hey, you should look at this because it's saving us hours and saving us lots of money. One aspect that's been highlighted by other companies looking to migrate perhaps uh, to off-premises cloud computing is uh, security concerns. Is that an issue for you or do you feel that actually perhaps uh, the way that you've done it means that you have fewer security concerns? That's a really good question because my first sort of forays into cloud computing were when I was working at Channel 4 Television and uh, our CTO back then discovered um, Amazon EC2 and the Elastic Compute Cloud and we started using it to offload traffic for broadcast, live broadcast television, such as things like Big Brother, when Davina would say, you know, go and look at the website now and we'd all panic. Um, Security back then was a huge concern because the whole concept of taking our data and giving it to somebody else was like, whoa, why would we do that? That's a huge risk. And I think the way the companies that provide cloud services have kind of recognized that and evolved their offerings. And these days, it's quite an easy conversation. When we started using Brew, the application I mentioned earlier, uh, a conversation about who owns the data, can I see it? Can I get to it? Is there any chance a competitor could get to our instance of that data? And it's a discussion worth having, but it's these days quite a short discussion, I think. I've wanted to ask a little bit about the business more generally. So you must be going through some some challenges at the moment. Have you been affected by things like rising energy costs? Yeah, we have. Brewing's a very energy intensive process. You boil liquids, you cool liquids, either you're using electricity or gas. In our case, it's electricity. And um, we came out of contract in May of this year and our unit rate has trebled. I mean, we can look at efficiencies and how we can, you know, optimise what we do and use less electricity. But 
it's meant cost increases because we can't swallow a, a trebling of our electricity. We're now paying more in electricity than we are in rent for our premises. So we've had to pass that on and it's meant cost increases. And is that something you're seeing sort of across the industry or is it coming as a surprise to the people you supply? Everyone's seeing it because we're supplying pubs primarily and they're you know, obviously painfully aware of the, the same challenges. Um, I think for what we're seeing on the brewery side is that I mean, people are coming out of contract and um, that's when it hits them. I guess we were a little bit earlier than some in being May, but now if you're coming out of contract, the rates you're being offered are even double what we're now paying. If they're not aware of it, they soon will be. Certainly, inflation is a a big problem right across the board, it seems, but you're already using the cloud. I mean, sometimes people would migrate to try and find those extra efficiencies. Are there many more that you can find, given that you've uh, pretty much started... Uh, from scratch with the cloud and already, I imagine, fine-tuning every single way that you work. In terms of computing and, and cloud specifically, I think we, we've done almost as much as we can. There's a few little things I'd like to do, but that's more using extra functionality in terms of the software we already use and making sure we're fully optimised there. But at the minute, I'm focusing on reducing energy usage. So we're about to implement a new cooling system that will be more efficient and save us money there because we're going to get more benefit from investing in that than we are in, in our computing side, which is already fairly optimised. I know you've got a blog on your website and you talk quite a lot there about the help that you get from your neighbours. I and mean, presumably sort of old fashioned sort of pitching in is actually helping out in tougher times as well. Definitely. I mean, we um, we started uh, on the same industrial estate as another brewery. Uh, they've been super supportive. They're a lot bigger than us, maybe 10, 15 times the volume that we produce. Things like um, they've got a bit more buying power than us and they help us out a little bit there, which is great. Um, Supply of kegs has been an issue recently and they've helped us out a little bit there. And in fact, we recently brewed there while we did some reconfiguration work. So they helped us maintain our production. And I think brewing is is somewhat unique in that sense in that, um, yes, I have competitors, of course, but we see ourselves competing against the multinationals. So the little guys tend to look after each other. And can you explain a little bit about the cuckoo brewing that you do? Yeah, so um, we ran out of capacity, basically, um, and we were looking at moving to a larger site or taking on more space where we are. Um, and that was was to be our big project this year. But because of everything going on, we've kind of tightened our belts a little bit and thought, well, let's just dig in. We've kind of invested a bit where we are and we've expanded as much as we can. But in order to, to produce more beer, we've lent on some friends a little bit and asked them if we can borrow the odd spare tank and brew into it and that's cuckoo brewing a bit like a, you know laying an egg in a cuckoo's nest and brewing beer elsewhere in terms of the beer itself they've got the same water as us we supply the ingredients and it tastes just like we'd brewed it but it's brewed elsewhere oh, Andy it's been really fascinating talking to you finding out how a combination of uh, community tradition and more cutting edge technology is, is helping you out through these pretty difficult times. So thanks very much. Thank you. So let me bring in Sophie Lundiates, our lead equity analyst here at HL. So Sophie, you've been looking at a few companies in this space, haven't you? First up, let's talk. We have to talk, of course, about Amazon. Hi, Susanna. Yes, you're absolutely right. We can't not talk about Amazon, really. And when we think of Amazon, most people automatically think of Amazon retail, prime, things like that. It's pretty surprising then to think that at the moment, every single drop of Amazon's profit is actually coming from Amazon Web Services or AWS, which is Amazon's cloud computing business. Now, according to Amazon, AWS is the most advanced and extensive cloud platform out there. 
One thing AWS does have is good operating margins. So these are currently in the region of about 29%. And this is the core attraction of being involved in cloud computing. Once you've built up enough scale and invested in initial infrastructure, which is very expensive for cloud computing, um, once those costs are covered, profit can come along for the ride. Now, in the fullness of time, I'd expect AWS margins to move forwards even more. It is, however, relying on the boom in cloud computing. The retail division that we associate with Amazon is actually loss making at the moment. Um, the group has pumped so much money into building out extra infrastructure because of the, the boom in online shopping during the pandemic. I was guilty of participating in that, um, that margins in this part of the business have really suffered. The inflationary backdrop is something to watch as well, because all those extra bits and bobs that people spend money on through Amazon when times are good may well stop being placed in the virtual shopping baskets, sadly. So certainly quite a lot to, to monitor where Amazon is concerned. So let's talk as well about Alphabet, because it's also a pretty big player in this space, isn't it? Definitely. But um, slightly different to Amazon, Google parent company Alphabet's cloud division is currently loss making. Um, and that's because simply it's less mature than AWS. So those benefits of scale that I was just discussing haven't yet come through. I'm optimistic that this will happen. Um, as we know, the addressable market is huge. I think an important point to consider is that as inflation continues and companies look for ways to save on costs in the long run, cloud computing is a potential solution for this. It offers businesses the chance to become more efficient and cut down on clunky processes. So while not guarantees, it is a trend that I'll be, I'll be watching. So just to give a bit of context, Alphabet Cloud had a quarterly loss of close to $860 million last time it reported results as it continued to expand and spend on that infrastructure. That is a huge number, but it does reflect one of Alphabet's core strengths. There simply aren't many businesses in the world that can afford a seat at the cloud table at the moment. And in the background, Alphabet's advertising business is rumbling on to and continues to make money. And I'm particularly intrigued to, to see how YouTube ads fare next quarter. All in all, an eclectic but, but powerful business over at Alphabet. OK, so that's Alphabet and Amazon. And you promised uh, a different look uh, at a company in this space. What have you come up with? I've come up with a company called Splunk. And not just because I want to say that word, but it's very satisfying. But taking a different tack and instead of looking at a cloud provider, um, it's very interesting to look at a cloud based company instead. Splunk, among other things, is essentially used for monitoring and searching through big data. So it indexes and correlates information in a, in a container um, that makes it searchable and makes it possible to generate alerts, reports and visualizations for companies. As you might imagine, with today's you know, data-obsessed world and way of working, I view this as an attractive industry to, to be in. Um, it has an offer of cloud-based and on-premises um, software products as well. So the group is seeing strong growth in its cloud revenue. I mean, that was up 59% year on year last quarter. However, there has been a slowdown in the new business pipeline. Um, I'm not overly concerned at this point, but it, it is something to keep an eye on. The law of big numbers means things simply can't keep growing at the same rate, but it's important to monitor if this is a, a structural problem for the group. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic for now, but as ever, nothing is guaranteed. It's also something the market has a keen eye on. You know, tech companies can suffer when ideas of slowdowns or stagnations are swirling. Yeah, OK, Sophie, thank you so much. Certainly plenty to keep our eye on. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please do let us know what you think and do subscribe wherever you get your podcast. So you get a fresh new episode in your inbox as soon as it's ready.
So let's bring in Emma Wall now, our Head of Investment Analysis and Research here at HL. She's been talking to Ziad Abu-Jerji, a Senior Fund Manager here at HL, about the home of many of the major cloud computing giants, the US. Hi, Ziad. Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Very well, thank you. So we're here today to talk about the US market, a market that drives global stock markets. In fact, it is the largest market in the world. And it's a market that has, until the beginning of this year, done extremely well. But then we had a change of fortunes. So perhaps before we look forward, we could recap on how the market has behaved over the last 12 months. The US market has been in a challenging environment recently. If we look into the performance as we speak, if we look into the S&P 500 index, it is down around 17% in the beginning of the year. Most of the sell-off has been the result of the uncertainty regarding inflation, where 12 months ago, we thought and the central banks thought that uh, inflation is going to be transitory. But actually, it was not. And suddenly the central banks had to act to to make sure that we don't end up in a high inflation environment. So this change of monetary policy where the policy was very accommodative to becoming more restrictive has changed the environment for the economy and for the markets. And obviously the, the, the markets being forward looking has to adjust uh, to this new reality. And that's this what created this rotation and the volatility that we are currently seeing. Of course, it's not only reserved to the US market. It is the case in most economies in the world. Now, we always encourage our investors not to think too short term. If we just park what's happened this year, year to date, as you say, there has been that central bank rotation. Longer term, the US is very compelling, isn't it? Particularly for investors in the UK who tend to have a bias towards the UK market. The US adds diversity and it has really, as I said in the intro, driven global returns over the last five to 10 years, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And this is what is fascinating with the US economy is that it is very diversified. The US economy doesn't rely on one type of industry. And what we've seen over the last uh, few years is that the innovation has been pretty much driven in the world by U.S. companies. And this is why, as long as we are seeing these U.S. companies innovating and driving growth, the U.S. market will still be competitive and an interesting market to, to consider from a U.K. investor perspective. Now, you and I at HL sit on something called the Strategic Asset Allocation Forum, which sounds very complicated, and it is quite complicated, to be fair. It determines the best mix of assets in a portfolio in order to deliver long-term performance for clients. Now, nothing is guaranteed, but one of the interesting things I think about the US market is, is exactly as you say, the UK, great for generating income, and there's some amazing industries in the UK, but the US offers something a bit different. You gave us a little bit of flavour there, but perhaps you could go into that. Tech, for example, is the big one, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the technology sector is the biggest in the US and pretty much in all the developed world. And we've seen all the the main players in the tech industries. We all heard about Apple. We all heard about Alphabet or Google, Amazon, Microsoft, of course. These companies, which usually sits within the technology sector, are really dominant players at the global stage. Because of that, obviously, they were growing so quickly over the last 10 years, driven by all this revolution in in technology, really, everything becoming connected. So that's a big driver for growth for for these companies that, that they were actually capturing and helping the US market to grow and to deliver the performance that we've seen 
And although these stocks has been challenged recently, the prospect for the long term uh, is still uh, obviously interesting as long as these companies are innovating and driving growth. And that's it, isn't it? We're not going to all suddenly stop using the internet or stop using our computer or stop using our phones. Perhaps you could talk then about the kind of, again, nothing is guaranteed, but the longer term outlook for the US and for those particular sectors. The long term outlook, it, it depends on the capacity for these companies in the technology sector, but also across the various industries to continue to innovate and grow and find solutions to what we need in our daily lives or what companies and industry needs for when they are producing the goods and services that you are consuming. So as long as the prospect for growth is there, it's a very interesting environment for these stocks. And it's really hard not to think why the world won't continue innovating and driving growth. Obviously, the US economy is the biggest in the world. So a lot of the demand and the innovation is happening, obviously not only in the US, but a big part of it is also uh, driven by, by the US market being the biggest one. So this is why over the long term, the outlook for the US economy is good because we think that uh, the US will continue to grow. And the prospect for the US market uh, and US companies to capture this growth is definitely interesting. We've been talking a lot about the cost of living crisis in the UK and the impact of the atrocities in Ukraine on kind of the European economy. And the US is not completely protected from the impact of those events, but it is a lot more self-sufficient, isn't it? It's much more energy autonomous and it has a huge consumer market, which can help generate returns for said companies. Yes, absolutely. And the US started this effort to, to become less reliant on the outside world for their energy consumption. Because of that reason, they are slightly more uh, immune from the rest of the world from the, the rise in oil and energy prices. Now, having said that, obviously, there is currently an inflation problem that the central bank is trying to tackle by raising interest rates. And uh, as the time of the recording, tomorrow we are expecting the Federal Reserve to increase rates again in its attempt to fight inflation. But having said that, we look at, into the resilience of the economy. And so far, as we see, despite the, the Federal Reserve having increased a number of times the interest rate, the economy is still resilient. We've seen the job market quite strong and the corporate profits that are still decent. I mean, this year, 2022, the market is expecting around 10% in gross in earnings, which is a decent level. So you're right. Overall, the US economy seems to be more resilient than the other economies because of the diversity that I just mentioned in the beginning. Ziad, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Emma. And that was Emma Wall talking to Ziad Abu Jerji, a senior fund manager here at HL. And please bear in mind that these are the views of the fund manager and are not individual stock recommendations. You're listening to Switch Your Money On from Hogreaves Lansdowne. And finally, it's time for the quiz. And Susanna tells me she's been hunting for some quirky facts about cloud computing. And, you know, I've actually been swatting up on some facts about clouds as well, because I know what you're lying. <laughs> Only time will tell if that was a complete waste of time, Sarah. Well, we'll start 10 years ago when the term cloud computing was being used fairly commonly, but not everyone had got to grips with it. So according to a US survey at that point, what percentage of people had faked an understanding of it at work? Was it one in 10, one in five or one in three? Oh, blimey, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I don't think I'd have had much of an idea myself of 10 years ago. So I'm going to go for one in three. 
you are right. And apparently one in seven had faked it in a job interview as well. That had to be a spectacularly awkward interview, especially if they were one of the 50% who thought it had something to do with the weather. Right, next, there are some pretty huge numbers banded about when it comes to how much data will be stored in the cloud in future. Now, you've heard of a byte, which is the unit most computers use to measure storage on devices. Well, a gigabyte is equal to 1,000 million bytes. So that's around 200 songs stored on a device. According to the United States International Trade Commission, in 2020, digital data was around 59 trillion gigabytes and is expected to reach 175 trillion of them by 2025. But what's the technical term for a trillion gigabytes? Is it a metabyte, a zettabyte or a googlebyte? Oh, blimey. Uh, you know, none of those actually sound real at all. Like They kind of sound like they're made up by Douglas Adams. But I do know that a Google is a massive number, so I'm going to go for that. Mm, no, I'm sorry. You did try, though, but it is actually a zettabyte. And I have to admit, it was a new one on me, too. Although you're right that a Google is a big number. It's a one and 100 zeros. OK, next we go back to the beginning of cloud computing. There is an awful lot of disagreement about who invented the phrase. But out of the following three, which has never claimed to have invented it? Was it Joseph Licklider, a psychologist and a computer scientist working in the 1960s? A group of Compaq executives writing a business plan in 1996? Or Google CEO Eric Schmidt in 2006? Well, they all sound quite believable. Um, I reckon, though, that this might be one of your trick questions and that people say all of them invented the term. You're right. Well done. And they're not alone either. The credit has been given to all sorts of people, including the engineer who introduced the idea to Schmidt and a handful of academics in the 50s and 60s. Essentially, anyone who said there must be a better way of doing this and then mentioned a network over a period of about 60 years, they could be in the frame. <laughs> Brilliant. In which case, when they eventually invent a device that means I never have to iron again, I want it to be known right now that I had that idea first. <laughs> I hope it makes for a fortune. I just don't do ironing. Anyway, finally, onto a company that has made some incredible use of the cloud, Netflix. The myth is that one of the founders came up with the idea after being fined $40 by Blockbuster for returning a copy of Apollo 13 late. However, the other founder revealed it was something they came up with because they were forced to spend lots of time with one another and decided to invent business ideas to pass the time. But why were they stuck with each other for so long? Did they have to watch their kids play baseball every weekend? Did they carpool to work together? Or were they members of the same metal detecting club? <laughs> I'd love them to be metal detectors, but I have a feeling it's something a bit more every day. Oh, so I'll go for watching their kids play baseball. No, they carpooled to Silicon Valley from Santa Cruz every day. Blimey, I mean, that's an impressive amount of creativity for a daily commute. Do you know how I'm lucky if I can manage Wordle? Or maybe you're just not carpooling with the right Silicon Valley entrepreneur, Sarah. <laughs> it's true. I'm probably not. That's, that's exactly what the problem is. Well, that's all from us for this time. But before we go, we do need to remind you that this was recorded on the 15th of September 2022 and our interview with Ziad was recorded on the 20th of September. All information was correct at the time of recording. Nothing in this podcast is personal advice. You should seek advice if you're not sure what's right for you. Investments rise and fall in value so you could get back less than you invest and past performance isn't a guide to the future. Yes, this is not advice or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any investment. No view is given on the present or future value or price of any investment. 
and investors should form their own view on any proposed investment. And this hasn't been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research and is considered a marketing communication. Non-independent research is not subject to FCA rules prohibiting dealing ahead of research. However, HL has put controls in place, including dealing restrictions, physical and information barriers, to manage potential conflicts of interest presented by such dealing. You can see our full non-independent research disclosure on our website for more information. So all that's left is for me to thank our guests, Andy, Ziad, Sophie, Emma, and our producer, Elizabeth Hodson. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye.